Well, good afternoon and welcome back to the show. It's the first Thursday of the month. It's actually the first day of the month. It happens to be on a Thursday. And even though we are actually not at the Presidential Museum today, as we ordinarily are, Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder making the extended trek out to our main studios to visit with us this afternoon. It's Talk to the Mayor, Mayor Jim Langfelder. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) (laughs) It was a nice drive. I I have to show up every day. You only have to show up once a month, but uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on out. My pleasure. Well, let's jump right into it because it's February now, which means the clock is running to get the city budget put together, finalized, Mm -hmm. in place. Uh, It has to be there one month from today. Right. Um, How's it going? Uh, how well, how's it all coming together? Well, it's uh, you know we wrapped up all the uh, public hearings with regards to the council. We do have another public hearing when it uh, comes to the city council meetings and actually voting on the budget itself. So that would happen uh, next Tuesday and then the uh, third Tuesday of the month uh, and move from there. But I appreciate the alderman they put on the uh, sales tax, which was held in the committee, or you know until we go through the discussions. That and the telecom tax, so they received all the information, and that will be discussed at next council meeting. So, really, you know, we did about $3 million of cuts. Uh, we looked at the uh, cost uh, center uh, services for reimbursement. Uh, that's where, you know, the utility, we provide services to the utility and the reimbursement of that. And then that amounted to, I think it was about a million dollars, a little bit over that. And then the uh, Revenue enhancements, uh, you know, depending if we have a full year, which would be five million, uh, over five million. But if you're not able to do that, uh, for instance, sales tax, if we're only able to implement that in July, I think that's a one point eight million dollar difference. And then the rest, if we last case scenario, would be a spend down of fund balance. And how I approach the budget, uh, Director McCarty said, well, it's eight and a half million. You know, that's where the number started with the deficit early on. And we don't have our final numbers in yet for the shopping season for Christmas, of course. Uh, but it's fluctuated up to $11 million. So that's the range we're looking at. And so what we intend to do is slow down hiring uh, for about a six-month period instead of three months that we did this year, uh, purchasing, things of that nature. And really, it, it you know at this point in time, that's what you're trying to deal with is what's that scenario. Do you have the votes for a tax increase? Uh, well, I think it's uh, as the aldermen dig through the you know budget. I think they're realizing the next step, and I ask departments to say if cuts have to be further, what would they be? And their personnel. I mean, we're to that point, and so personnel is eighty percent, uh, probably above eighty percent at this point of the uh, corporate fund budget, and so some some uh, departments, uh, individuals might not realize aren't part of the corporate fund. Uh, there's been discussion on Convention Visitors Bureau. They're funded through hotel motel tax. That's separate from the corporate fund. Economic development, uh, only a portion of their budget comes from the corporate fund. Not a lot, but a portion of it does. Uh, so those are two of the entities. But really, it funds police, fire, public works, HR, corporation council. You know, so uh, the main drivers that uh, services that people see on a day-to-day basis, those are what uh, is funded through the corporate fund. Uh, I didn't really hear an answer to the question, though. Do you have the votes? <laughs> That's a good one. Went right back to it. Uh, I'm not sure at this point. I think they're warming up to it. You know, uh, but time will tell. And it's really through that discussion because some aldermen, you know, took a hard stance. I'm not going to do it regardless. Or uh, 
only if it applies to this. And really what this is is a bare-bones budget. So it's for operations. And so what happened, the question would be, I think Alderman Senor said, well, what's the contingency plan? Well, that the contingency plan is what we discussed is what's that secondary source of cuts. And that was presented through uh, the departments at that point in time. You uh, you pretty pointedly said to the alderman a couple of weeks ago, if you know if you don't like this budget, who's going to step up and volunteer to close a firehouse in your ward or, or do something along those lines? Uh, is that something that if if aldermen don't get on board with the sales tax, would you look at okay, let's see who didn't want to vote for it and let's take away a firehouse in their in their ward? Well, the, like- and the reason I brought that up is because some aldermen say, well, we may have to close a firehouse. Well. That's why I put it back to them. Okay, who's going to give up their firehouse? The answer is nobody wants to. But I think someone quipped, well, it's not going to be in my area, but somebody else's. And so that's the uh, thought process. Nobody wants to close the firehouse, myself included. But is there a way to uh, reduce staffing uh, without doing that? And there are ways to do that. So it really comes down to what, uh, you know, how do you want to impact the services we provide on a daily basis? Uh, when you talk about that $3 million in cuts, I know mm-hmm. you're talking about slowing down hiring, slowing mm-hmm. down purchases, but for $3 million in cuts, it would seem that inevitably there has to be some actual impact to services. So what are people not going to see in the coming fiscal year that they mm-hmm. have seen in the past year? Well, one specifically, uh, Director uh, Mahoney had pointed out that one was like a building permit assistant uh, as a vacancy, and that would go by the wayside. And what that would mean is, you know, a slowdown of maybe the time lag for issuing permits. What we're trying to do, of course, with that is city works. We're trying to expedite processes with technology. Uh, So uh, that's one instance. The other ones were like uh, going full-time to part-time in uh, supportive supportive activities from staff members. You know, my office... My administrative assistant, one of them will be taken down to halftime, things of that nature. And so that's what you would see. Uh, so full-time positions, I'd have to take a look at actual full-time positions that were taken out. But the main one, that's the main one, was the public works one. Outside of that, it's probably more of an internal lag than an external one that you would see, because we want to provide the services everybody has become accustomed to. Now, the real graph that we need to show, and uh, uh the information should be online in more detail uh, Friday, tomorrow. But one would be how we compared our, our comparable cities on uh, what the city charges in property taxes or any type of taxes. And we're well below our peers. Uh, if we if we charge what others do, we wouldn't even have a funding problem at all. We'd be able to make extra payments to pensions and that. So really it comes down to what's the acceptable amount of revenues people are comfortable with raising. And that I just brought back the bare minimum from last year just to make ends meet. That's $0.25 cents on $100. And then the telecom tax, which everybody charges right now, and we're below there, and we're just bringing it up to that bottom rung. And if I'm understanding correctly, if aldermen don't come back uh, with those tax increases, the next step is going to be layoffs? Well, that's uh, we'd have to regroup, and but that's what it appears to be. Sprinkle Mayor Jim Langfelder is here with us in studio this afternoon. And, Mayor, it, it seems like uh, in our home budgets, when things are a little bit tight, that's mm-hmm. when things start to break down and go wrong. And I see today in the Illinois Times, in addition to everything else, there's a story about the sewers going to be needing oh. a lot of work and a lot of fixes. And we're talking potentially tens of millions of dollars in the years to come to take care of all of that. We know we've got an ongoing problem with frequent water main breaks. So you have a lot of under-the-surface level infrastructure that's going to have to be dealt with. What's the game plan there? 
Well, that, that's that been brought up before. And actually, when I got into office, I asked an engineer I, uh, from an outside entity, I said, well, if we did this study, how much would it cost to uh, do downtown sewers? I think the number was like $50 million or yeah. whatever it was. is enormous. I said, well, would that guarantee the no flooding? And said, well, no, you can't guarantee that. So, But that's the underground infrastructure that people don't see. And really, that's the last, unfortunately, that gets repaired by government, You know, because people don't see it on a daily basis. They'd rather do road improvements, things that are visual to the eye. But uh, but we see a lot of torn up streets anymore. It seems right. like almost oh, every, yeah, every especially in the winter, mm-hmm. uh, every week, there's another major lane disruption where streets got to be torn up because you got to repair the main underneath the ground. Right, and uh, we appreciate the workers. I mean, they've done a great job, CWLP and Public Works. But on the one that's coming before the council is the Jackson Street Corridor. That's the town branch, the main downtown uh, sewer, and we're looking to improve that or reinforce it and do underground uh, storage tanks to help mitigate uh, some flooding. It's not going to, of course, mediate at all, but uh, that's a multi-million dollar project coming before the council to vote on. And then uh, from that, uh, hopefully it takes care of that immediate area. But that's a long-term process, and that uh, goes back to, well, like we talked about, this budget is just bare bones. Uh, last year, you know, I brought natural gas tax. Unfortunately, that got shot down, but that was for... Uh, an extra payment to the pensions, and then equipment purchases. So you're trying to address some of the long-term needs. But uh, with that, you know, the pensions, the sewers, you know, continual maintenance of the roads, uh, equipment, those are all long-term needs. And how do you answer that question? Really, it comes down to economic development and moving that direction. So, you know, there are a lot of activities ready to pop downtown and then uh, you know look at other developments like LRS on Monroe uh, the movie theater that's coming on are going to be improved on uh, Capitol uh, Shopping Center and then St. John's what they're doing what the memorial and others have done uh, that will continue to help our property tax base and our just economic base and so you hope that continues on an exponential basis but that's really the true answer to uh, your funding needs for long term. Since you mentioned economic development we'll touch on that when we come back We'll talk about what the county's talking about, mm-hmm. what they're wanting you to do, and what you've been reluctant to do so far. We'll get into that in just a moment here. We're back on the Jim Leach Show talking to Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder this afternoon. He's made the trek out to our main studio because there's events happening at the Presidential Museum, so our usual broadcast slot down there was not available to us today. We'll be back there next week. And in the meantime, Mayor, uh, you opened the door to talk mm-hmm. economic development uh, that uh, again uh, and you sound a little like Governor Bruce Reiner when you talk about oh, this. So we don't need taxes. <laughs> we'll just grow the economy and that will that will take care of everything. And in, and in theory that right. that's true. It's a long process. And, and it can right. be easier easier said than done. And uh, you know, it's also part I mean, we have one of the lowest unemployment rates in the state right now. We're under mm-hmm. 4%. Right. Uh, and most economists would say that's pretty much full employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much more can we do in terms of growing jobs and, and things like that when, when we're already sitting there at extremely low unemployment and you know a pretty comfortable standard of living around here? I mean, right. how much more room is there to grow? Right. Uh, well, first, on the economic development phase, one thing government has to do is live within their means, of course, and really allocate those dollars when they become available for targeted uh projects or what have you. And so the other side of it is uh, with regards to 
economic development is, uh, you're right, with the uh, workforce. I mean, you want a qualified workforce, you know, where's the propensity to find more workers? And that's the regional concept, which was uh, presented in the economic development report by the county. And uh, that's understandable. I talked to Jennifer Gill actually today about this is, you know, for high schoolers, college isn't for everybody. And really, we need to identify those individuals and show them the opportunities that they can migrate into real quickly. And then hopefully get them when they're in high school, mid high school, because, uh, you know, with today's, you know, when I was young, you know, you need to know the importance of being on time and, you know, not getting into things you shouldn't be. And, uh, you know, so that opens up a whole different area that you have to provide that job skills training on a more escalated uh, feature. So you have those qualified workers. So that's the real struggle right now, or the really the uh, piece of the puzzle you, we ne- really need to tackle. And we've done a, just a small portion with uh, Grow Your Own uh, with Hanson Engineers, the county and the city, putting in dollars together uh, to try to recruit engineers and uh, create that pipeline. But we need to do it across the board, you know, through all the industries. So that's the direction you need to take and really target uh, your employment sectors, you know, like the hospitals, of course, is a natural one. Uh, energy for us or, you know, government, uh, that'd be another uh, financial is a key one here in Springfield. With LRS, that's uh, the one thing they did point out is with regards to that level of a skill set with uh, programmers, things of that nature, we don't necessarily have that here. Right. But uh, So they're bringing people in. So that's helping. But you'd like to have that growth within uh, your own community. Um, otherwise, it'll be hard to keep those companies or draw on the ones that you need that would complement the other ones. Which brings us back to, to the mm-hmm. county's push for this public-private partnership, which mm-hmm. is being set up. And uh, the idea was the county would chip in, the city would chip in, everybody would be on the same page. And you have said, number one, because of the city's limited resources right now, you're not so eager to chip in, but also because you feel like, hey, the city's got uh, economic development presence, and you're working through uh, regional planning commission. You've been involved through the chamber. You've got your your own uh, economic entity within the city itself. Uh, but can you succeed, and can the city succeed uh, if the county is out there with this public-private partnership and kind of doing its own thing? And is there a fear you're going to be at cross purposes? Well, actually, I had this conversation with Alderman Proctor. What needs I think everybody's in agreement we have to do better than what we've done. But we partnered, you know, Emberclear was a perfect example of how we came together and got that done. Uh, but really, what I think everybody's in agreement, we can do more, what's the right path? And so that's where the conversation is. Uh, right now, you know, they're talking about funding another department, quite frankly, or an entity for uh, $1.5 million or $1 to $2 million. Well, my standpoint is we fund regional planning. They always already supply the planning operations for the city of Springfield, Chatham, you know, and the other outlying areas already throughout the county. You have a vacant position of a director. Let's bump up that salary. We can peel that off into the, under the umbrella of the governing board, and that would be your structure that you would need, and then uh, fund it that way. They have 13 employees, you know, so that gives you the capacity, the framework for individuals that could do the economic development and the planning. They go hand in hand. You can't separate that out. So I think that's the direction I feel we need to have or go, but we have to have that conversation or that discussion because I'm not sold on the idea of let's create a economic development 
department like Decatur's done. Decatur's done this. You know, I I service Decatur in my banking day, so this isn't a new concept to myself. So that's what you have to take a look at. What is the best approach for our area? And it's not only Sangamon County. I look at uh, you know the Inland Port in Decatur. That's a natural. Uh, asset that we probably should tap into because that's funded through ADM and the others, but it ties in the rail traffic that goes to our 10th Street corridor. So you can really capitalize on your general area, but again, going back to the workforce, you have to have the numbers to support the employers that would come in or want to grow within our communities. I've got to take a break here, but real quickly, Mm -hmm. when you say you can't separate out planning and economic development, but we always have, and we've always had uh, a a separate planner and an economic development person, whether it's the city or the county or or whatever it might be, those have been separate entities, and it would seem like they are in some ways different skill sets, that that planning uh, is not the same skill set as going out and recruiting businesses and drawing companies in and selling them on the benefit fits here. Mm-hmm. So how are you so sure that combining those operations is the way to go when that's really not been the way we've done it? Well, that's that's the point. You know, when I ran, that was a big topic. Oh, you need a planner, Mayor. Well, we have the Office of Planning and Economic Development. That's what it's called. Uh, we always use regional planning so we could maximize our resources, and that's what we're talking about. But you have to lay the groundwork first and then build from that. So they do go hand in hand, and uh, you need to work together to maximize your resource. And it is public-private partnership. But really, we have that happening right now through the LRS's development. It was an enterprise zone. Emberclear is the same way. It's a matter of how we can max- best maximize our resources to move forward economically like everybody would like us to. We're going to talk about downtown Springfield, whether it is uh, changing the landscaping on downtown (laughs) streets or the North Mansion block. A lot of ideas that are floating around out there. We're going to get to all of it when we come back in our conversation with Mayor Jim Langfelder. All right, we are back now with Mayor Jim Langfelder. Talk to the mayor continues. want to turn our attention to downtown. Just last week, the mayor delivered the state of downtown address with no singing, Mayor. I was a little disappointed. Yep, yeah, yeah, sorry. I couldn't pull it off. Except for, for singing along with Love <laughs> Roller, Roller Coaster, Coaster on the way That's in. That's right. There was that. And we have a copy of that, by oh, the way, nice. which we play fairly routinely <laughs> on the radio station now, in fact. Thank you very much. Uh, but in any event, we'll, we'll move on from that. You uh, announced a, a couple of things last week, one of which I found intriguing was mm-hmm. the uh, uh, the call to take what's been done on Capitol Avenue. And mm-hmm. it is, um, you know, a, a very redesigned with uh, different street lights and signage and the, the the planters and the concrete uh, blocks on the side of the road and everything and just you know very well done and beautiful look to it uh, and you want to extend that uh, throughout downtown starting with Fifth and Sixth Street down by the old state capitol and moving on from there you talk about the fact that visitors come uh, and they're drawn to to that vista that mm-hmm. we see on Capitol Avenue although I suspect part of that is probably the great big domed building at the end of <laughs> it which correct. we don't have at the end of, of other streets here in the downtown right so why do you think it's such an important thing to to replicate that look elsewhere? Well, it's uh, more for connectivity. I did attend the, uh, you know, I was one of six mayors that was chosen to go to the city, U.S. Conference of Mayors on City Design. They had uh, landscape design architects. They had, uh, you know, um, oh, different experts with architecture, um, you know, from housing and other elements that came together to provide advice. And one of the projects they selected, you know, I presented many within Springfield. The one they chose was downtown Springfield, offering suggestions. One thing they said that we don't do well is uh, have that walkable corridor or the, you know, connecting all these sites together or, you know, so when visitors come, it kind of naturally leads you around the downtown area. And so really, 
the hub has been the old state capitol. And, you know, DSIs try to do things on the capitol, the plaza itself. And that's what uh, you probably build out from there. And then that's where the connectivity would come from. Start there and then build your way to the capitol and then hopefully in other areas. But you want to have that unified look. Uh, the other thing we're taking a look at is, of course, the 1908 race riots. And um, when those were put up, uh, you know, by my father years ago in partnership with the NAACP and others, it kind of blends in. You don't. It's kind of invisible almost. It's a sandstone look. The plaques kind of worn out, and so we need to reinvigorate those, but make them stand out more, and then so people know uh, that they stand out and they're connected more. And so that's kind of the concept. But you've you've been into other cities where they have, you know, the uh, flowers or the landscaping, and it just gives you that wow factor. I think that's the, really the accent on Capitol Avenue. It is the dome, of course. They take it, but more people pause now in the middle of the street because of the landscaping and then the, uh, you know, the brick pavement type look that that presents. You want brick pavement on all those streets downtown? <laughs> no, but really what we're trying to do is uh, take a look at uh, how it appears right now and uh, you know make it more presentable uh, for the future. One of the things DSI mentioned at mm-hmm. the event last week was wanting the city's help for more wayfaring signs mm-hmm. that really direct people to all the different points around downtown, whether it's Lincoln Home or maybe the Hoagland Center for the Arts or the, the uh, plaques on the race riots or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. Right. Uh, can't that provide that same kind of connectivity with perhaps a lower cost in redoing all of the landscaping all up and down the major thoroughfares? Well, right now it, it's combination. You know, the uh, the wayfinding you can get a, some people prefer an app. You know, just following on their phone app. Others, you know, you've seen them where they put the decals on the walkways. Uh, so it's different looks. But with the the landscaping, what that it's beautifying your area. You know, it's beautifying downtown. It really raises the level of attractiveness uh, for that area. You know, because you do get you know comments about you know uh, other things, unsavory things going on. So this is a way to erase that connotation for the locals, but raise that uh, level of expectation for locals and tourists alike. Another thing that DSI mentioned, they haven't forgotten about. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you haven't either. Is that possibility of changing some of the one-way streets to two-way streets? Uh, you first brought this up, I think, a year ago uh, at at the uh, uh, the State of Downtown speech. So where are we one year later? Well, on that, it'll be uh, really, it's a million dollar, probably multi-million dollar project by changing the one ways because of the uh, lighting infrastructure, traffic lights infrastructure. So we're going to have to improve those anyway to make them uh, more accessible for, you know, visually impaired where you've heard them, where they have the beeping noise for walk, things of that nature. So that's on the uh, radar. Hopefully we'll be able to start phasing that in next year. Uh, We've done the studies or we're completing those now, but hopefully next year uh, we'd be able to modernize the technology with regards to traffic lights and tie that all together. Uh, and those would be the, you start off with 4th Street, probably 7th Street, and be, you know, uh, you know, it's not all, well, you, Director Mahoney could explain uh, because they go off of traffic patterns. And then you do the east-west corridors like Adams and others, but uh, it'd be your slower areas that would, uh, you know, that, aren't deemed as one-way streets like they used to be. Back to the landscaping question. When you and I talked about this last week, you said that perhaps TIF money could be used mm-hmm. as a funding source for that. A listener asks, well, why why were you so big on putting 
a park in the North Mansion mm-hmm. block because it wouldn't use uh, mm-hmm. TIF money, where you use TIF money that might have commercial development that would actually generate tax dollars mm-hmm. and revenue and property and sales taxes and things. You didn't want to go that route, but you use TIF money for something that doesn't really directly generate tax revenue. Is is that being consistent? Uh Right. With the information being presented, it uh, gives us a uh, more opportunity. So by the group that's coming forward with the park, uh, two things on that. One is the cafe. That's going to generate taxes on that. And that's going to be a dynamite uh, facility, you know, uh, just because there's nothing there. So that's going to draw people. But really, on the park itself, you have to have planned activities. That's You have to bring the numbers down. You just can't build the park and, hey, here it is. Let's go with it. You have to have planned activities. So that's where you'd really magnify that cafe and the tax generation from that. The other piece on the park specifically is there's a circle of trees on the fourth and capital corner. That's for a future building if, you know, we so choose to have that happen. But we're still in the development stage working out that agreement. But I did. That's one of the reasons we had that building move. So it gives us that opportunity on that corner. But what it does by not putting TIF in the, that project, it allows us to put TIF in other projects. Specifically, um, looking at the uh, ramp on 4th and Washington, I mean, that thing needs to come down. It's just terrible. It's uh, dilapidated. We only have a couple of floors working. And that's where we're trying to steer the housing project in that area. So it will allow us to do both projects and get a win-win. But on the uh, landscape, you know, that's one thing we're looking at. Is there a possibility to have donors, uh, you know, sponsor and things of that nature? So, But uh, TIF is, uh, you know, acceptable means to do that. But, of course, not the full-blown project, uh, but that's what you. what's the proper balance. But if we get a, a lot of donors come forward or are able to raise private funds, we do it that way. But if not, uh, is it worthy to go forward in another manner that would be uh, subsidized through the city? You had the, uh, the, the designer mm-hmm. of the North Mansion Block uh, Park project in town last week. Mm-hmm. I had the chance to talk to him. I know he made the rounds and talked to the newspaper and some others as well. Uh, do you feel like public opinion is being swayed at all as you've been uh, pushing uh, that because you've acknowledged that you're you're getting some resistance to this idea of the park are you making any inroads well on that uh, i knew i'd get resistance you know people say oh thanks for picking the park i text them back and i said well thank you but now for the fallout you know because i knew everybody wanted mixed use i wanted mixed use my first priorities have a university presence on there but none of that happened i was working till the end trying to make that happen the mixed use wouldn't work because of the cash flow there's a gap and just doing the phase one, which was the housing, which was five to six million dollars. So uh, this presented itself where we could have a win-win and hopefully sp- bring development there based on the numbers that you have to generate, again, through planned activities. So that's the aspect of that. Uh, and we'll continue to move forward in that regards. And do you feel like people are, are starting to come around? or? Well, I think the video helped. I think we what we're trying to do is change the uh, messaging or the branding of it because you know I think people are polarized. I wanted the apartments or I wanted the park, and so really you're trying to educate the public on what's really the potential there, and that's what it comes down to. What's the true potential? And really, I think people are going to take a wait and see attitude. Some will, but some I think are being you know uh, one person did tell me, well, Mayor, you know I'm leaning more towards bark, but I'm not there yet. You know, so yeah. I think it's that wait and see attitude. But I think uh, really it comes down to once it's constructed, you have the mansion being redone, you have the bicentennial plaza by the Illinois Realtors, so that walkable corridor from Lincoln's home 
BioBed and Isaac, so it connects all that, but you really have to activate that area as much as possible with programming. I think the real key that's really going to be exciting is the ice skating or the you know that uh, permanent structure in the winter. I think that will just add to the dynamic of downtown and what we're able to do. Along the idea of, of programming there, a listener wants mm-hmm. to know, will the, uh, will the park be a public space for free expression? So you could have street musicians, street performers, preachers, mimes, uh, jugglers, poets, whomever, <laughs> and would they have free access to be able to come down and just kind of do their thing? Kind of free, like a, free expression. A that's a paradise. <laughs> that's right. I think uh, how it is going to be is it's going to be a land lease to uh, the development group for, I Right now, it's a period of 10 years, so that's something we'll have to work out on the management of that. They would run it for the most part, and then it'd be a gift to the city. So uh, there'd be activities, you know, people would come down at their leisure. We're not going to charge to get in there, but it'd be free access uh, to what uh, you're able to do. It probably depends on what's happening at that point in time. All right. Uh, And it has to be within the realm of the law, of course. Well, of course, of (laughs) course. We've got a couple more questions for the mayor and not much time. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, just a couple of, actually, only about a minute left with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. And, Mayor, you were at an event today kicking off Black History Month, and Springfield became one of the first communities to sign up for an initiative to get 200 Illinois communities to uh, essentially commit to principles of uh, inclusion, equality, non-discrimination. Why was it important for you to be among the first uh, to get on board? I think they're trying to tie it into the Bicentennial. I'm one of the Bicentennial commissioners. And then uh, really for Springfield, it's being the state capital, the home of Lincoln. And I think it's the status of that. But kudos to the city council that took action with the resolution back in August. And uh, that's what we kind of commemorated and asked other communities to step up and hopefully do the same. You made a point of of saying that that resolution back in August didn't come from an outside group and it wasn't Mm -hmm. divisive. Those are terms you've used to talk about the welcoming city ordinance. It was a little bit more controversial later on in the fall. Right. Really, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of polarizing forces that play with different issues that we face. And really what we want is to be that umbrella city, uh, you know, welcoming to everybody. And so that's what that anti-discrimination fairness all, uh, that's what it really drove to. And we took the words of Abraham Lincoln. His words are as true today as they were then. So uh, we really implemented that into the resolution. It resonates to people because, again, uh, really... Um, you know, understand the importance of Lincoln then and as they do today. Mayor, we're out of time. Well, I appreciate you having me. See you in a month. Yep. Have a great day. WMAY.